Orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. Hello, and welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. For those of you that are new here, the Breaching Extinction podcast explores the plight of the endangered southern resident killer whales through interviews with the people trying to save them. There are currently less than 80 southern resident killer whales left, and they are currently threatened by lack of prey, vessel noise, and water toxins. All these factors impact one another and play a significant role in their population decline. They have historically spent much of their time in the Salish Sea. However, they've been seen less and less likely forced out of their home by lack of prey as well as busy and toxic waters. I'm your host, Erica Worth, and I decided to start this podcast in 2019 after spending a summer working in the Salish Sea and learning about these animals. Each week, I dive into a new conversation with guests from varying perspectives. I approach these topics through an interdisciplinary lens in hopes of uncovering the intricacies of this complex issue. Through this, I hope to share insight as well as fit the puzzle pieces together needed to save this species. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in being featured on the podcast or sponsoring us, please reach out over Instagram at Breaching Extinction or send an email to info at breachingextinction.com. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaching Extinction podcast. Hope you guys all had a great week. I am here with Timothy Harrison um, from Outreach for Animals, and we are not talking about the Southern residents this week, but we are talking about topics that are relevant to conservation and his latest film, The Conservation Game. How are you doing today, Tim? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Um, can you give our listeners a little introduction of who you are, your history, um, and what you're doing now? Yes, uh, I'm a, a retired police officer, firefighter, paramedic for the city of Oakwood near Dayton, Ohio, currently an adjunct instructor for Teeks Nurtsy, the National Emergency Response and Recovery Training Center out at Texas A&M's Disaster City. It's like Universal Studios, but you're in it. We teach people how to play well together in communities before a natural man-made disaster. I'm also director of Outreach for Animals, an organization of police officers, firefighters, emergency room doctors, pediatric physicians, veterinarians. We all got together to try to teach proper behavior around wildlife because we sure as heck ain't seen it on TV, especially in the United States of America. Author of three books, and I've been in a couple uh, internationally award-winning documentaries. Awesome, so you got a, a lot going on for you. That's awesome. Um, so as somebody that started out on the police force, how did you make that transition into um, conservation and wildlife? Yeah, it was unusual. Uh, I actually was 16 years old and I started working for a local veterinarian in my area that actually worked at the local zoos as a veterinarian on his, on his time off. And I started working for him, walking dogs, and became a veterinarian assistant with him. And he would go out every once in a while, besides doing the exotics at the uh, zoos, he'd get called out by local police that there's a python in the loose in the woods or a bear chained up in the backyard of somebody's house. So we would go out and do this. Well, he ended up marrying, making a long story short, he went out and married his high school sweetheart 
went back to Colorado, I got stuck. And all the police departments in the tri-state area where I lived, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio, would contact me when they ran across any dangerous exotic animal that can't happen, or wild mm -hmm. animal. So I continually did that pattern. This is well before I ever got into law enforcement and uh, firefighting. Worked in human hospitals for a while, worked, assisted some, some physicians and surgeons, got out of that, became a police officer. That really opened my eyes up because every cop on the planet had something like this happening across the country. You know, and they were all, I was going to all these trainings and everything. And people were talking about, oh man, we had two cougars in a lady's house here in Oklahoma, or we had this and this. And I was collecting this information. And I'm thinking, wow, it's bigger than I thought it was. It's, it's an actually a national uh, phenomenon here. You know, it's really sad for the animals and the people. So then what I did from that point on, I started trying to educate. I tried to get out and do as much information as I was rescuing those animals. And in, in the new documentary, The Conservation Game, kind of explains how it went from that point on. And after 2005 or so, we started things started changing. Reality TV came in effect. And we got that monkey see, monkey do mentality where people see Steve Irwin with alligators and, and crocodiles. And then they'd go out and buy one imitating their the TV host. Just like with the show Jackass, as a paramedic, we had special training in jackass type injuries because as soon as the show went off the air, people were taking staple guns and putting staples into their noses oh. or jumping off buildings with shopping carts. And the same with 101 Dalmatians. Every time that's shown, people race out and buy a Dalmatian pup. In about a couple months, they dump it off at the Humane Society because I call that, that monkey see, monkey do. That's uh, it, that's not entirely surprising. And in the whale world, we have a little bit of the same thing of mostly like people get too close to the whales and post about it. And then everybody needs to get too close to the whales. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Media has such a large influence on the way that people perceive things and their behavior. Um, so why do you think that we have this crisis? You know, obviously you said the monkey see monkey do, but I mean, even so, acquiring an exotic pet, like say a bear or a python, that is a huge like step to take. Why do you think that people think that it's okay or that we have this big issue in the United States? Well, in the first documentary, if everybody gets a chance to watch that, it's on Amazon uh, Prime right now for free, came out 10 years ago called The Elephant in the Living Room. That kind of explains all that in that film and the auctions and everything else. But the reason why people do this in the United States of America, especially is because if you have a demand for it, the people are going to feed that demand. Mm -hmm. We had, back in the you know, 70s and 80s, you know, we didn't have a demand for it. We had every once in a while, somebody would have one. I'd have five or six calls a year maximum. When, when Reality TV, Animal Planet came out, the very next year, I had 112, just in my area, of the most dangerous animals on the planet. Some of them I had to get a book to open up and say, my God, that's a taipan from Australia the most venomous snake in the world. Wow, what's it doing here? So there's a demand. People wanted what they saw on TV or they wanted these animals thinking they're going to imitate these people. And that's what I told uh, the director, Mike Weber, who does, does a, a beautiful job on mm -hmm. both the documentaries. He was a director on both of them. And he said at the first documentary, he said, Tim, you're blaming the media way too much. I said, then you ask them. I've been doing this for 47 years, Erica, 47 years. I've got a lot of answers. And it was yeah. funny because he started asking them. And he say, why did you get that tiger cub? Because I watched awesome possums on Animal Planet, straight out of their mouths. And it was amazing during the filming of the first documentary, Erica, just to prove a point, we didn't put it in the film, was the mother that the, the, the woman that was in that car that the lion was attacking on the interstate. Yeah. She actually said the thing that scared her the most 
because her daughter was in the back seat, a seven-year-old. She says, mommy, let me out of the car so I can pet the lion like Steve Irwin. She said it. She didn't know me from Jack. Oh and she God. just blurted it right out. And that explained it. Mike, he, he couldn't believe it. From that point on, he understood what the problem was. With the whales, oh my gosh. I've done a lot of uh, work with uh, individuals going out as a safety diver. I got to go out uh, and also on some expeditions with Howard Hall Productions, which is a world-renowned group out there with Howard Hall and mm-hmm. Marty Snyderman and you know the late Bob Cranston, who I love very much. And we were working with whales. We were, and you ask people their opinion of whales. Mm-hmm. The first thing out of their mouth is, I, I got to go see one. I got to get out and get close to one. I got to go snorkel with one. It's not like you would see with people that respected the animal. All through elementary school, high school, all the way up, we've been teaching our kids to be obnoxious outsiders, to get that selfie, get that picture, get as close as you can, wrestle the animals. As you saw in the, uh, the conservation game, I almost had a, I had a bunch of ability to have series done with me. First thing they say, take your shirt off, wrestle the alligator, put your jungle hat on. There was no educational, it was all animal exploitation. So it's no different. You can take that as an endangered species, you can take that gray whale and mm-hmm. just pull it out and put a snow leopard in there. And it's the same kind of mentality people have for these animals. It's that, what can I, how close can I get? How much can I get involved with this and make sure, you know, I want to get my picture taken. Absolutely. I like, that was like one of the things that I found so interesting when watching the conservation game is I was like, there are so many parallels to issues that we have with the Southern resident killer whales. And like you said, you just interchange it for any species. And it's, I think that's one of the most frustrating things is to see the way that people value and interact with animals. Like they're still wild. And like, you know, people want to get really close to humpbacks out here. And while they're like considered a docile animal, that's still a 50 foot animal with a huge peduncle muscle that can smack you. Like you don't want that. Um, but it's like, it's definitely frustrating because I think people just, they're like, what can I get from this? And most of the time the animals are being exploited for money and the people behind it are claiming to care and claiming to be the ones that are doing the most and that know the most. And I struggled when watching the elephant in the living room, when you had the one guy that was, you know, or the, there was a couple. And then there was another guy who was like, you know, that's fine if you don't want to do it, but like, don't stop me from doing it. And I'm like, this is kind of a huge thing. Like, you know, it's completely unethical. And that's exactly right. The word unethical. It may be, it may be legal. As I said before, I've been in many magazine articles and the National Geographic. One of my quotes is this. I said, you know, it may be legal, but is it ethical or is it moral, right? There's a big difference between, yes, you can jump in the water and swim up to that whale if you're in some parts of the world where they don't, you know, you know, have a, a good law enforcement and individuals looking out for what's going on. But is it ethical? Is it the right thing to do for the animal? We have all of our programming is, and they have the titles, man versus nature, right? Right. You know, cougar versus man, you know, uh, man versus nature and all this garbage, you know, man, you know. We're obnoxious outsiders. We're not wanting to be part of the environment. We want to be the heroes, the guys jumping and girls out there, getting in the water and being seen. You want to be the one seen. Yes. That's why that's why I loved Howard Hall Productions when they almost all it's, as animals. It shows the animals on the on the IMAX shows. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't no people popping in. We don't have to have people. That's why the BBC and some of the shows like Blue Planet are so popular is mm-hmm. people don't realize we don't need us to, to mess up things. We don't need to be part of this. 
when Animal Planet asked me to do a series with them, they asked me, Tim, you know, we went, they sat me down, they wind me and dined me. And I said, I'll tell you what, do you have any shows on your network that has somebody go, crikey, take a look at that beautiful cobra. Let's leave it alone. And they laughed at me. They said, no, we don't, Tim. I said, well, I have no place for me here. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's very frustrating. And that's a very common thing too. Like we see it here, but our issue is more with like all these people on Instagram posting all these photos all the time. And like one of the biggest pet peeves that a lot of us have is that like, it's about them. Like their posts are about them and their interaction with the animal, not about the animal and how it is amazing in its own right. And, you know, sharing the message of that animal. And it's sad to, to hear that like people, it's like, it's very egocentric and we need to be ecocentric and it's frustrating. And it's not that hard to do. Look what we did with, you know, uh, recycling. Mm-hmm. Everybody says, oh, Tim, you know, you can't, you, change, you can't change these people's minds. You know, it's just, we're a narcissistic uh, kind of culture. We have to be the, the ones we have to be, a, as you see on like you're talking about Instagram, TikTok, all of it. You can't even go two or three TikToks without somebody wrestling a lion cub or somebody, yeah. as you say, out in the ocean, leaning over and petting a whale. You know, you can't, you, you, it's every, about every third or fourth one, you'll see somebody pop up doing that. And to me, I'm looking at this situation. This is, these are individuals that had been through our educational system. As I said, you people say, we can't teach, we can't teach the kids. We can't really get them to, to respect the wildlife. They always want to touch it or be a, you know, mm-hmm. grab it or be, hold it. And I said, well, stop for a second. We can teach the kids the right thing because with recycling, it was the children that got the parents to do it. I know that for a fact because that's what happened in my house. My boys come home from school and said, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was, is that's the same thing we can do. We need to go to the children. They asked me over about, you know, you you got the movie, The Cove. I love The Cove. It was done very well. Blackfish, fantastic. And I I love it when they put us in the same category. Uh, the conservation game. All the all the people that's reviewing it now, we're in, we're put in the same list. Those fantastic documentaries, and I look at those situations, and I'm thinking in my mind, they're talking about, oh, we got to change the way these Japanese fishermen are thinking. You're we're done with. We got two generations back. We have to start working with. We can't work with the generation now. You're not going to train them to stop that. The old fishermen are not going to stop. You need to get to the kids. You need yeah. to get that started when they're young and start teaching them the, the value of these animals instead of the lies. I helped with the, uh, and one of the gentlemen in the film, uh, Keith Gadd, who was a national park ranger and a federal investigator, he's the one that did security and helped bring the wolves back to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And it's like he said, you know, you stop and think about it for a second, you know, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? There was so many lies out there about the wolves, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things. And that's why I love when I first, first talked to kids about the oceans. I said, you know why they called it the right whale? And they are kids, no, no, teachers never taught them. Mm-hmm. I said, no, it's because it's the right whale to kill. When you harpoon it, it floats to the surface. And those kids' eyes get teared up. I know it's sad, yeah. but it hits them. It stuck with me when somebody told me that. Yeah. I was 22. Yeah. You know, that's the information that they should be given out, you know? Absolutely. I think you're totally right. Like we need to, to teach people young. And I think too, you know, even when you're saying the kids are tearing up, like, I think it's intrinsically in us to care, but somehow we're taught not to care. And I think it's like, it's a root of, of something much worse. And it, you know, it's a lot of the issues why we have problems with climate change and other things. It's just like this constant exploitation and people are too busy in their own lives. But I, you know, I do think that there's a lot of weight to, to teaching the kids because they're going to be the ones to make the decisions at some point. 
but also, you know, kids do have a special way of kind of wiggling into people's hearts and maybe changing their minds a little bit. Absolutely. And that's who's going to go home and talk to the parents at dinner or they're sitting upstairs and watching a show on TV. We, we, this is a quick, real quick story. They sold alligators like crazy in the state of Ohio after Steve Irwin came out. Mm -hmm. uh, they sold them into pet stores like Jack's Aquarium and places like that and uh, national chains and also local pet stores. So what I did is I went around to the elementary school because I was catching them like crazy. When they reach about four foot to five foot, just like with the snow leopards, when they reach a certain size, you can't use them anymore. They, they actually start clawing you and biting you. They, right. I call it an expiration date for these animals, right? They have to get rid of them. I used to have to go get them out of rivers or lakes. I didn't want to see them killed. It's not their fault. Well, right. it ended up, I started going to the kids. I didn't say anything about protesting. I didn't say anything about doing anything. These kids got together from all the surrounding schools in the Dayton area, Dayton, Ohio area, and protested at the pet stores till they stopped selling alligators. That's that amazing. to me is a huge win and a huge lesson for all of us. Absolutely. I think so. I mean, anybody in any walk of life can make a difference, you know, and it's important that we all are open to to new information and information that might potentially be painful to learn. So it has the, has this issue with the wild animals gone down at all in recent years, or is it still continuing to increase? Yeah, it's a great question because um, I just came from Harvard. We got their law school out there, animal policy uh, law school out there. And that was just yesterday. And we had a showing of the film and we did a panel and a lot of the, these are people, very educated people. And some of them were asking that same question. Has it got worse or is it getting better? There was a point in time where things slowed a bit. And then we have the Tiger King. And then we have somebody's that, and you would think the Tiger King would register with people to think, oh, look how horrible yeah. these cats are and how horrible these people are. No, we got the Tiger King 2 coming out. Mario Tribune, the guy that was used his in real life was the guy that, that was a real Scarface. Uh, in the movie too, they're making a series about him now too. They're making heroes out of the very horrible animal pimps. And the whole magical part about this is, I told everybody, don't get all excited about this. This is not the black fish for cats. This is not gonna be that. Cause I was in, you can hear my voice in the first show, say mm -hmm. a couple of sentences, I backed away from it. I want nothing to do with that project. Right. I had that feeling, you know, there was something wrong here. This wasn't gonna be black fish for right. big cats. So then we decided, to get together with Mike Weber, an unbelievable filmmaker, mm -hmm. and uh, this is and this is just an unbelievable artist. And we decided let's let's go after the conservationists because that's the way. And actually find out what happens to the cats. This is yeah. like it's on our trailer. While everybody else is how great Joe Exotic is, and Carol did this, and that, that, boom, boom. It's not a human soap opera. We took it and said when everybody asked me on a national basis, an international basis, Tim, he goes. What about Tiger King? I don't talk about the Tiger King because that's a soap opera. That's a satire. That's 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 a an individual that's almost like reality TV, the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. What we do, we're totally about the cats. We mm -hmm. want to know what happens to these cats, these endangered species. Because I'm telling you right now, when a snow leopard is more endangered, sitting on Jack Hanna's lap on, a, let's say, the old David Letterman show, than it is in the wild by poachers, we got a serious problem in the United States. And one more thing. At the CITES, last CITES meeting, I think you probably heard, the Chinese people put their hands up and said, we're not listening to you, America. You got a real tiger problem. You don't even know where your tigers are at. 
they got you know over 3,000 plus or so. It's been permitted in, in, in Texas by himself. They got wheat and you got the Tiger King. So what we're doing now is we're trying to cure ourselves with the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which will help all the big cats out and the first responders who are always the first ones on the scene. They, and then they'll be able to come back and say, look what we've done for our country. We're cleaning up our mess. What are you guys gonna do now? Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, that's a valid point for them to bring up that if we don't have yes. our ducks in a row, how can we ask them to? Yeah. So um, just for our listeners that haven't seen the conservation game yet, can you fill everybody in a little bit about these you know, animal ambassadors that have kind of gone missing and how we don't know where they are? Yeah, it's quite the it's quite the story. Now I've been involved with this stuff for years. I've um, if people want to follow on outreach for animals, you can actually get on there and look back at the Zanesville massacre. That's how many years have been. It's about ten years now that I've been fighting with Jack Hanna for laws in our state, in Ohio, just to get legislation in the state of Ohio. We had nothing here, and then to go for national laws like the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And as you found out, it's those conservationists that are fighting us to keep from getting legislation to mm-hmm. save and protect endangered species, big cats, in the United States of America. Isn't that, it's just hard for people to fill, fill that in their heads. So when I found this out, and then I was in an auction, and I actually saw these individuals at the auction selling their animals, picking out animals that they were going to use on you know, Good Morning America or uh, the James Corden show. And I'm seeing this, and, my, I'm, and I'm about freaking out. Wait a minute. These are the guys that are teaching my children. These are the ones that they're plugging DVDs in for educational purposes at schools for kids. And yeah, they're playing yeah. with these animals like they're toys, they're exploitation, they're toys. So it ended up, I'm going to get investigate this. And they asked me, can you guys do this? And I said, I'll put a team together. We will do it. And mm-hmm. Mike Weber, filmmaker, jumped on it. We had, you know, Carney Ann Nasser. She was uh, Michigan State University Law School. She's ahead of that animal law. We had those law students. We had uh, uh, Jeff Kramer. Jeff mm-hmm. Kramer does forensic internet like you saw, like you wouldn't believe. A lot of people don't realize tiger stripes on their face are like fingerprints. Mm-hmm. So you can follow that tiger from the day it's born all the way up to the day it dies mm-hmm. and find out what happens to it. So it's like fingerprints. And then we had uh, Jeff, or, um, Keith Gadd, national mm-hmm. park ranger, and he's also a federal investigator for uh, endangered species and things of that nature. And, mm-hmm. and Russ Munts, my fellow partner, uh, investigator as law enforcement. And we were able to do what nobody else was able to do. We got in, I got went face to face with these individuals, these conservationists. And it's the ones that you, it's the most famous conservationists in the world coming out of the United States of America. And I went face to face with each one of them and I begged them, tell me where your, the snow leopard jingles is at. Tell me where Macintosh is at. Whatever animal, I'd give them a, a little pamphlet, a little book, or staple sheets with their cat's pictures on the TV shows with the dates on them, I would hand them to him and I would beg them face to face, can you help me find this missing cat? And as you, I can't tell you, you have to see the film, mm-hmm. what you hear and what comes out of their mouths will shock anybody on this planet, which it has. Right now, it's streaming, the documentary streaming on Stan. It's like one of the top uh, streaming and on Australia, doing very well to the point they want a sequel. Mm-hmm. It's gone to uh, U- UK. Uh, Paramount Plus picked it up. Channel 5 in the UK is going to be showing it. Germany, Norway, Denmark. It uh, looks like Spain's picking it up. South America's looking at it. 
We only have a little problem here in the United States. And again, as you, as you can tell, Erica, you saw the film, not too many of those companies that have been sh shown on the film are gonna step up and wanna show this documentary. But right. we do have a breath of fresh air is that I'm pushing now saying, hey, watch the documentary. Your people, your entertainers, your hosts, they didn't know what was going on. They were lied to too. They're yeah. just as much yeah. victims of everybody else. So they're right. like in that state right now where they're just kind of keeping their hands off right now. Yeah. It's it's tough, like especially too, I'm sure there's like a level of maybe guilt that some of these TV show hosts feel, even though it, you know, they're not the experts in this. They're not supposed to be the experts. They're expecting, you know, these conservationists to be. Um, so I'm sure that that's a, a hard thing too, especially when you're like in the public eye like that. I'm sure they have to be very mindful of what steps they take. Um, yes. So you're just right now you're waiting for somebody in the U.S. to pick it up and distribute it. Is that kind of the plan? That's that's up to Mike, the director okay. and the distributors we have, distribution okay. company. They're taking care of all that. I don't think I'm a, a subject of the documentary. I don't get paid. I don't get paid for the first one. I don't get paid for nobody in the film gets paid. Right. If you get paid for not a documentary. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. So um, is there a place where people can find it online and watch it now? No, not yet. It's uh, it's going to be coming. We're, we, we actually say stay tuned. Follow mm -hmm. us on Outreach for Animals or our Facebook. You'll be able to keep, keep people updated. Or you can get on the conservation game, theconservationgame.com. Look at all the reviews. Look at the trailer. Look at all of it. And it's it's going to rock you. Just that's going to rock your world a little bit right there. Yeah, it definitely did. I I would say that this documentary, at least for me, out of a lot of the ones that I've watched, is it, I think it maybe hit home more for me than most people just because I, I grew up going to the Columbus Zoo. I got my start working in conservation at the Columbus Zoo. Jack Hanna is one of my, or he was one of my idols. And it's like, it's so sad to see, but, you know, I think it's also like, it's really important too, because they're like, it is something common in whatever, whatever wild animal you pick out, there's going to be people who are not who they say they are. And like, we see it all the time with like our Southern residents, people who claim to be scientists or claim to be conservationists. And like, they don't do anything to help the animals. They actually just hurt them. And that's so incredibly frustrating. Um, how many of the cats were you able to track down? We did track down quite a few. Now on the film, uh, but we found them in very bad places. Right. Uh, in the film, uh, we actually, it was unusual because the places we found them at uh, like Mary Haven's place down in Tennessee, that's nobody goes there. That's right. top secret. And but I got connected with them over the years, rescuing animals and mm -hmm. people trust me. And they're saying, oh, by the way, you want to see a couple snow leopards? I thought I was shocked. I thought, whoa, what are you talking about? And it just so happened to be two snow leopards that we were actually physically looking for. It's almost like we had, you know, I don't know if you believe in God or Buddha, whatever you believe in. It was, there's something had their hand into this to get us where we need to go and to talk to the right people. And to be able to look these animals in the eye, I'm gonna tear up here in a minute and realize they were nothing except a, a tool and a, a something for somebody's ego, for a narcissist to make money off of. You gotta remember Jack Hanna just sold, just sold, just sold his ranch out west for $4 million. He's got two other properties, one in Florida I know about, one in Dublin, Ohio, it's probably close to 
they're pretty expensive too. Mm -hmm. And that's why I tell people, they said, Tim, how do you know when a zoo director or a conservationist or a conservation group is out of control? They're not back on the, on the plan. Everybody starts with the good intentions. Everybody does. Yeah. Ego, yeah. money, all, yeah, as you know, they all fall into that category. Yes. Now, yeah. when the animal becomes secondary, that's when I get distance away from them immediately. And, and with Jack, it was one of those situations where he's easy. He's an easy person to show. Because mm -hmm. when you look at that and you say, well, wait a minute now. It's a nonprofit zoo. I don't know if you knew the Columbus Zoo was nonprofit. Mm -hmm. So how does a director of a nonprofit zoo that's retired make that much money when everybody else, other zoo directors aren't coming close to that. Right. And right. I said, well, Timmy's on TV. I've been on TV, as you saw on the, on right. the movie. Right. I didn't get paid that much. They give you a couple hundred bucks. I put it right back in the outreach for animals. It's not like you're getting a bunch of money. You've always heard the jokes on the old Johnny Carson show and the Jay Leno show. Tonight show, they don't pay nothing, right? It's more just being right. on TV. Right. So where's he getting this money? Now you know, off the backs of these little endangered cats like snow leopards. You gotta remember, I will let the cat out of the bag here, needless to say, you know, ironically, is that there was at least out of the 17 snow leopards that we investigated over that four year period that was just around Jack Hanna and went off with Grant Kimmer and the other people you're gonna meet in this film that were not involved with zoos, not involved with AZA or accreditation, those cats all died before the age of 22 or were lost to follow-up, which means cannot be found, they disappeared. We actually know of at least half of those that died you know, within days sometimes and weeks after being used on TV. And if you did that, if you did that in Nepal, I had one of my uh, anti-poaching mm -hmm. uh, gentlemen who came over from South Africa. He was, in, he was in the United States at the time. He came to see the film and he had tears. I've never seen him cry because he's so steadforward and let's go get this and let's get the bad guys, you know, you know, mm -hmm. he had tears mm -hmm. in his eyes and he asked for the microphone after the showing, I handed it to him. He says, this is worse than the poachers are. This is insidious. This is nefarious. I mean, he was going off because they're telling your children that go ahead, get your picture taken with the snow leopard. You're saving the snow leopard. As you even heard Boone Smith from National Geographic's Big Cat Week, the best, one of the best trackers in the world. He even says it, you know, he goes, we're trying to help these endangered cats here, you know, and they're very endangered, you know, we're trying to protect them. Wow, wow, out of his mouth. And then that cat's taken off to a football game to be used for, uh, you know, for uh, pimped out for a football game and then disappears, nowhere to be found. And that is the ambassador animal that he says, we're gonna save all the big cats. Hey, maybe you might be helping some big cats in the wild I've been over there to Nepal. I've been over to India. I've been over to South Africa. They bring me over there to help out. And I'm going, you know, it's, you guys take any cats from the United States or, you know, that, that, that have been bred in AZA zoos or even backyards? Oh, heck no. We don't take anything that's been imprinted with a human being. We don't do any of that. It's never going to happen. No cat has ever saved any cats over in, in the wild being used on the Johnny Carson show or being used on, uh, on uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. It's never happened, never will. It's just the opposite. You're killing animals for your own benefit and to make money. And now I can say that freely because as you know, the AZA stepped up and said everything on that film is true, as you found out. Everything mm -hmm. on the film is true. They're changing their ways. I've got to give them credit. They've stepped up and admitted it and they're changing their ways. 
Columbus Zoo, as you saw in the film, was totally against the Big Cat Public Safety Act because of Jack. Now they get the new regime come in, they're totally changed. The three uh, the four other AZA zoos in the state of Ohio have always worked with me and always done some fantastic work. But I want you to understand it needed to be shook up. This is one of those situations where somebody needed to stand up and shake it up. And that's what happened. Absolutely. I mean, nothing's going to change until somebody says something. And there was like a part in the documentary that struck me when you kind of like it was a scene with Jack Hanna and you were talking about like, you know, there's a part of you that wants to not expose him because that was your hero. And, but at the same time, like, you know, it needs to happen and you're thinking of the animals and you're thinking of him. And like, I can completely understand all of those like conflicted feelings and like being like, you know, is this the right thing for conservation? And it is, and it's really hard. And I think that's the other thing too, is like in every single conservation situation, there's always going to be something like this and somebody always has to go and shake things up or else nothing gets done. So I appreciate, you know, the work that you do and your like constant advocacy. And like, I'm very inspired by it too. And honestly, like, I, like I have a lot of those same feelings of like, am I doing the right thing? Because I've gotten a lot of backlash um, talking about ethical whale watching and um, you know, like people have just been awful. I'm sure as like, you're aware, people just have a way of doing that. Um, but and it makes you question, like, is this the right thing? But like, ultimately, my friend Gloria always says to use the whales as your compass. And for you, they use the tigers as your compass or the cougars. Right. That's so true. And for everybody that's listening out there, anybody you talk to, or hears, hears us speak and goes to a party or says something, somebody says something at a party, I'm going to go to another party where they're going to have a tiger cub. Because it's all over California. It's all over New York City. All these places where they have big parties, they have what are called VIP parties, and they bring the cat in. As you know, uh, the, the poor little tiger that you saw on the white tiger you saw on uh, on the movie was actually a rapper's a rapper down there in uh, New Orleans. He had it chained up to a tree, and it was horrible condition. Nobody would have found that if it wasn't for the police officers doing a raid on the property for something else, and they right. found that poor cat chained to the back. And how many of them are dying across the country right now? Now I have a good feeling because I've been involved with this for 47 years, there's a ton. Ever since the Tiger King came out, everybody wants a picture with the tiger. Everybody wants to be like the Tiger King. It's, it's, it's an unusual infatuation people have with celebrity. Uh, yeah. They just want to be like that, or they want to be the one in, at, at the office showing, here, I got my picture. Look at this. I'm right next to a humpback whale. Look at this. I'm over the top of the Zodiac, and I'm right up there on it. And you know, not thinking of the animal at all. We've lost right. context that we are visiting somebody else <clears throat> in their home. Mm -hmm. And we just lost that. We lost mm -hmm. it and it goes from elementary school, that's where it starts, up through college. So we gotta stop that. And I know some great instructors out there and teachers that are trying to do that and they get stopped by the, uh, the boards, you know, the school boards and things like that saying, no, 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 that makes kids sad. I don't know if you heard that or not when you've been out doing your speeches or talks, that makes them sad. We don't wanna make them sad. And one of the best quotes was by Cy, one of the guys that actually was involved with that world. And Cy is a great friend of mine and we work together and you know, he's a great guy. And Cy sits there and when they asked about that, you know, just the people want to just know about what the tiger, how big they get and how you know strong they are. They go, they don't want to know what happens to him afterwards. And he stops for a second and he goes, nobody wants to know that. Mm -hmm. That's the best quote from the film. Because yeah. nobody yeah. wants to know that, as you know, nobody wants to know that that whale is probably going to get some kind of infection on its skin from a bunch of people petting it, you know, with whatever right. crap they have on their hands that day. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things where people don't understand 
that, you know, we are, I hate to say it sometimes, parasites when it comes to coming out here. And Absolutely. we're, you know, you don't want to be the thing that's going to cause damage and death to something as beautiful as a tiger or beautiful as a snow leopard or as beautiful as a gray whale. It's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the bottom suckers. I just love all these animals to the point. I'm not, and that's what I try to bring into my, when I speak, I'm a human animal advocate in that order, as you can tell. I do human disasters. I, I was a paramedic, I was a police officer. I did all that stuff and I do animals. And I, I, there's no way we're gonna change what's going on with animals unless we change what goes on with humans and vice versa. It's gotta be both together. We can't separate it. I got tired when I was younger watching some of the protests calling people horrible names and stuff. Well, we're not gonna get anywhere done with that. We need to get in there and work with you know, changing the minds of people. Because there is a heart in there. As you saw in the elephant in the living room, mm-hmm. Terry, Terry Brumfield told me, he said, I'm gonna teach you brother. I'm gonna teach you that it's good to have these lions. It's okay to have them. Well, as you as you saw in that film, it became just the opposite, didn't it? Right. And he, and that's how I do. I do 10 to 20 families like that every year. And then also I do a separate stuff where I go out and help. So it's one of those situations where I've, I've got a lot of people. And I, I used to be a person to rescue the animals and I had no place to take them. So I kept the ones I rescued. And yeah. Yeah. You, know, you saw in the film, and I, I don't touch it. I don't touch cubs right. because I'm an addict right. too. I think I can take that cub home and take care of it. And that's how I was raised. I was raised Jack Hanna. Yeah. I was raised yeah. Marlon Perkins. And we can change that. We don't have to have that Coyote Pearson and all these people on there jumping on stuff, wrestling stuff, pouncing on things, letting things bite them. We don't need that. We can stop that right now as a, as a race, as a group of humans, you know? We can stop this and say, stop, right? Yes. We don't need to yes. abuse animals for our entertainment. Yeah. And you know, one thing yeah. before, I, I, it's one of those things where I, I did a part, we were going to use it in the, in the uh, conservation game, where it showed Frank Buck, Bring Him Back Alive. Now, you're way too young to know who that is. Everybody's listening to look him up. It's back in the 40s, 50s and so. Frank Buck would go out and catch these animals and bring them back and show them on their movies and these little movie things they put at the theaters and they bring in live shows and all this stuff. And I showed from Frank Buck up to now, this kind of entertainment has not changed one bit since the forties. That's how cruel it is and barbaric. So when you show people that too, I do it in my PowerPoints, you can see here you got grandpa, you got his, his kids and, then, and his grandkids all sitting there at the same program. He's going, Frank Buck, oh, hell yeah. And then it goes right on down. Oh, Steve Irwin, that was me. And over here, they're talking about the Kraft Brothers. Oh my gosh, right? And it goes right down the list. You know, I'm going, wow, you're hitting everybody right there. And you realize, wow, it hasn't changed. These animals have been abused and exploited for all these years, strictly for the egos of those people. Very little, very little education is being done. And what you remember is when I showed my pythons and stuff to people, they remember the snake, but they don't remember the message. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I think that that's really important. And, you know, you really driving this like nail in that it's a lot of ego stuff and narcissistic stuff that's driving people to do this and a lack of education. And, you know, I, I'm not somebody that thinks that everybody needs to go to college, but I think in this instance, if you're a wildlife person, you need to be trusting and following people that have 
basic, you know, degrees in biology or zoology, but also higher degrees. Like if they're claiming to be a scientist, they need to have a PhD or be pursuing master's or PhD in order to be calling themselves that. So I think, yeah, that's really experience important. too. Let's put some experience in that too. Let's get your butt out there. That's what I love. I got a bunch of PhDs, a bunch of doctorates that I, I, I'm out there with because I am not, but I am a person that has this, the, the, um, the skills yes. in the school of hard knocks, being around the animals and being around people. I'm pretty good at verbal judo and what they call, I have an unusual charm that can be able to work with even people from different countries. I was able to do this and that and all kinds of different things, you know, over with, we had poachers, crocodile poachers on the Nile that I worked with. And this is the angle I worked with them with. I was a martial artist. So I kind of got in there and they're kind of macho. We kind of played around and we started sitting around joking around at the campfire. They wouldn't let anybody else from my group into the campfire except me. We'd sit, I had a, I had a gentleman that uh, spoke, uh, spoke uh, Arabic and we were talking and they were going back and forth. And I made an explanation to him. I said, listen, you're killing the, you're killing the crocodiles. I said, you're the worst farmers I've ever seen. And they all started laughing. I said, and they go, farmer? I said, yeah, no farmer kills his crop. No farmer kills everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they coal, it's called coal. And mm-hmm. if you're going to do that, because I know they're not going to stop what they do, mm-hmm. but I need to get, take that first baby step to get them to think about that. Don't kill everything, right? Right. Let some of it go. And I got pictures of me taking crocodiles, smaller ones, about five foot from them and turning them loose right mm-hmm. in front of them. And that's how you do it. And those guys are so proud now. They even talk with the government over there. They tell them we're farmers. <laughs> we're farmers. That's the angle you work. And that's from all those years of being law enforcement, working in hospitals, working in mental health. I did that while I was in college. Mm-hmm. And you know how to negotiate and talk to people and use verbal judo. That's not my thing. Throw that in with your PhDs and everything. Yeah. Take a course in verbal judo. Yeah. It'll help everybody. It'll help everybody. And then get your rear end out and meet the people. That's what I said, the best education on the planet for anybody. If somebody's a racist, get their butts out, take them to Africa. When they come back, they're not a racist no more. <laughs> it opens your eyes up to a whole different world. You know, it opens your eyes up like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is everybody's has the same. The kids are all the same. Everybody right. loves right. something. Everybody wants to be. And you just want to just be there to help them be the people they want to be. And I hate to get into all my soapbox on this, but it helps the animals out by you being connected with the people. I have friends. uh, I have family. I'll have to call them family. Um, My Muslim family is all over the Middle East. My uh, Hindu families, I call them, you know, all, all the different families I have around the world that I connect with them. And then now we can go look for some animals and help them. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think if you can reach them on a human level of like you're human, I'm a human, we have something in common, then you're far better able to reach them just rather than, you know, telling them about how all of their actions are bad. I think that's an important step for sure. Um, So, you know, if there's obviously, you know, we don't want people to be keeping these wild animals. Are there any other takeaways that you find are really important for people um, with the work that you do? One of the biggest tech takeaways I can tell you is that I have a quote that I, it's been used all over the world in TV Tokyo and Australia and everywhere else, but it's just a simple little phrase. You, you can love these animals, but don't love them to death. 
And what I mean by that is every one of these people that buy one of these animals did not plan on breeding or just buying the animal because they honestly think there's not enough tigers left in the world and we're going to do conservation and keep these tigers just in case they need to be bred down the road. I'm going to put it in my backyard and my corn crib. These people yeah. are good-hearted people, as you saw in the elephant living yeah. That's a typical person. They're, they're loving, caring people. The right. people in the black hats, the, the bad guys, I would say, the animal pimps, as I call them, is the ones that are the bad guys. They're the ones that are selling these animals to those people, knowing that they're going to be three to four or 500 pounds, that, uh, yeah, declawing them is not going to keep them safe. Uh, it's one of those situations, but they lie to them and they're against them. So I tell people out there, yeah, you love these animals, but the best way to love them is to leave them in the wild. Now, you'll get the same thing probably in, in, in your field too. Well, they'll say, you got experts, just like you talked about. There's people out there get to a certain point of expertise and don't go any farther. You know, mm -hmm. they'll get a couple of degrees and all of a sudden they're telling you, oh, no, no, Mr. Harrison, there's not enough land left for these animals. Mm -hmm. I said, when's the last time you've been in Nepal, especially Western Nepal? Well, I haven't been there. I've been there four times. And guess what? They've got corridors now. The, yeah. the tigers are coming back. They're doing very well right now. The villagers and the local people are very connected now with their environment. They're not being shoved out. They're not having these situations. They're learning to live together with each other. And it's one of those situations where the corridors are being built. One guy was perfect. He was one of the researchers. If you want to see a pretty unique uh, documentary too, I'll throw it out there called The Hidden Tiger. It's mm -hmm. on a lot of different uh, things. And it has some beautiful footage over there in Nepal and in India. Just listen to them. And that's, I'm, I'm a little bit in that documentary too. But it's one of those things where the gentleman says it all. It's just, all we need, we need people. Mm -hmm. We need people to come over and help us to build these things and educate. We don't need, we're not getting the money from these major organizations. We need people. He was on a, a speaking engagement with all these co colleges around the United States years ago. It was so funny because he says, we don't, don't send us any, I don't want your money. I want your college kids to come over and help me, you know, to get out here and do this. Because it's funny, a lot of times, as you probably know too, you could take a person from the United States, take them over sometimes. And a lot of times the youth will listen to them before they'll listen to their parents. Mm -hmm. We have that here in the United States too, where if you want, want your son to do something, you go talk to your friend who plays basketball with them, you know, they're adult and have them say something to them. Because it's a lot right. of times they won't listen right. directly. Times you need somebody to come over and just sit down with them and say, hey, you know, I, I love these cats too. You know, I love being here and I love you guys. And, and let's work on this together. Let's kind of keep it, you know, we can work together. And it has worked. Everybody, I want you to check it out with the Paul and the, and the, and the Tigers and also in Northern uh, India too. Things are changing. We do have the land. It's not totally being taken away. We can stop that too, as you're talking about with climate change and other things. We can stop all that and we can preserve these areas the way they are and, and, be, very, and be very successful. A tiger living in somebody's, you probably don't know what a corn, oh yeah, you're from Ohio, what yeah. a corn crib is. Most mm -hmm. people buy a tiger cub at an auction or they buy it off the internet. It's adorable. It's adorable for about six months till it starts whooping your butt. Then yeah. when they become sexually mature, they, they don't need you anymore. Right. And one of the things is when Roy from Siegfried and Roy was attacked, um, the comedian, uh, Chris Rock, we were on a radio show in Las Vegas. Chris Rock came on after me, after I talked about this wasn't a freak accident. Everybody else, Jack Hannibal's saying it was a freak accident. No, it's not a freak accident when Montecore attacked Roy the magician on stage. 
Right. You know, so Chris Rock goes, you know, that, that tiger didn't, that doesn't tiger turn on, right? That tiger went tiger. And I threw in there after he said that. That's, and that's the greatest tiger show ever put on stage. Because that's what a tiger's supposed to do. It's not supposed to do magic tricks, right. you know? Right. It's not supposed to rub and lovey-dovey on you. This is the largest predatory cat in the world. National Geographic says, oh my gosh, it's a perfect killing machine, right? Where does it say make a good pet and let's do magic tricks with it? Yeah. So it's one of those things where we go to Las Vegas. That was the biggest tiger show in the United States with Sigbreen Roy. How's that educating your kids? Not, right? Yeah. That was the biggest thing of our lives. There were tigers. So I'm, I just throw that out. I want people to realize what we've been brainwashed with over the years. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like we talked about that with the Southern residents, as far as how it goes with ecotourism, because obviously we had our own issues with orcas being captured and put into like these marine parks. And fortunately, that's now illegal. So that's good. Um, but I think too, like, you know, now we have the ecotourism industry and in a way it's kind of the, the, you know, uh, the sheep and wolf or the wolf in sheep's clothing. And it's important to think about the way that we value animals. And I think people think that it's okay to interact with wildlife in certain ways or go out and like attack a gator or like touch a manatee or whatever the deal is. Um, they think it's okay because it's less bad than what they've seen. But ultimately I think we really need to think about, is this really what we should be doing in the first place? You know, is it's a, like in some ways things might be better, but there's like still a lot of room to grow because the way that we interact is not natural. Most people's natural inclination should be to be terrified and run the other way from a tiger. Yeah, yeah. you, 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 got, you got to quote there from Dr. Roger Paholka. Remember the emergency room doctor in the elephant living room? He goes, I was six months in Africa and six months in the United States as an emergency room doctor for the last, now it's been close to 40 years now. And he says, we don't have that problem in Africa where I, I, I do my work over there. He said, don't people don't walk up the lions. They don't bring them into their homes, right? He goes, in the United States of America, he's had numerous big cat attacks from people's pets. Lots right. of venomous snake bites coming through Dayton, Ohio's Miami Valley Emergency Room Trauma Center. So that should tell you that on that small basis, what's happening across the country in the United States. So we have a disrespect. It's a total disrespect for these animals. We don't look at them as wild animals. We don't look at them. And it, it, you'll be surprised though. I have to give credit. My, my, grand, my granddaughter, she's, she's only about three. She said something the other day was right on the money. She sat there and there was a lion on TV. We we're watching a lion on TV. And she called, they call me Bumpy. My grand, I got seven grandkids. They call me Bumpy. They go, Bumpy. Bumpy, there's a lion. I said, yeah, and she goes, is it true? This is three-year-old, is it true? People have them as pets? So she's heard kids at school talk about me, the teachers, and I said, yeah, it is. She goes, this is right off the bat. She had like, her eyes got a little teary. And she goes, why? <laughs> I said, baby, that's it. You just, that's the, the ultimate question. It's so yeah. like lions yeah. and tigers and bears, oh, why, right? And that's what I've been there ever since. That's my question, why? And you'll see that if you follow all those Instagrams out there, all I do if I'm on the plane or waiting for a plane or something like that, I'll run through there and I'll just put down why with a question mark. Yeah. Make a comment, yeah. why, why? And you'll see about four or five people fight me. I don't ever come back. I never come back with anything else. And then a bunch of people will support me. And I love it. Nice. I love it. Yeah. That's <laughs> Everybody should be doing that. Everybody listen and do that. Just put why with a question mark. Why? And then sometimes put conservation with a question mark when they're wrestling a bear, you know? 
yeah I think yeah no you definitely should be questioning those people and like and holding them accountable so what how would you recommend that people go forward in the way that they interact with wildlife do you have like a set of like rules or guidelines that you stick by or general philosophy yeah my main thing is too is if you're going to go somewhere with ecotourism or that nature check who these people are make sure they're not going out and feeding the sharks and doing the things you know and then getting as close as they can to things you got to be real careful who you're dealing with because they'll call themselves ecotourists or they're calling themselves con you know I want to say conservationists because they're conning you because there's no conservation being done here. Make sure you educate yourself before you go on anything like this. Then also sit down. Man, my first book explains it all, Wild Wild Times, Tales from Suburban Safaris. I got a whole chapter, just local wildlife, where people say, I can't believe, Tim, there's a whole herd of deer walking through my neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. the the name of the street they live on is called Deer Run. It's a new plot of houses that went in (laughs) in less than a year. I said, what did you expect? That's mm-hmm. where their deer have been running for the last, you know, thousand years or whatever it is. You build a home and even smartassly enough put up deer run as the name of the road, the street yeah. in, the, in the suburbs. So it's one of those things. That's why you teasingly said we ought to call it uh, uh, lawyer's way or, you know, accountant uh, uh, you know, street, you know. Uh, but it's so funny is that we look at these situations, know what's in your neighborhood. Know what's in your neighborhood, first of all, when you move into somewhere. Don't be an obnoxious outsider, because we had in Kentucky where people were moving into a certain area. My brother lived down there, and we come down, and they want us to take all the snakes off their property. Mm-hmm. I said, well, these are king snakes. No, 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 I want them off my property. I said, where'd you move in from? A New York. I said, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You need the king snakes to keep the venomous snakes off your property. It's called circle of life, nature, right? Yeah. I said, they can crawl through your yard, and just a taste of that for a rattlesnake, we'll keep them off of the yard till the next dew for rain. And no, no, one of them off. So we take them off and then, you know, one day be two, two months later before, before the fall, bam, there's a rattlesnake in my yard. No kidding, right? So this is what we're talking about. Know what's in your area. That's just where you live. Now, when you travel, please, please get good information, good books, sit down, study about what wildlife is over there, what is expected of you when you go there to keep the wildlife wild. And mm-hmm. please don't be the old ugly American. Or, you know, I hate to say it, all these other European countries where they go over and they're just, you've seen it. We'll just say an African safari where you got all those Jeeps and it looks like, it looks like Yellowstone National Park at times where people see a bear, everybody just comes driving up on everybody. You know, except in the United States, you have a, a ranger get out and try to stop everybody from coming. Right. Over there, nobody's there stopping you. And they're right. like running over each other to get to these animals. So have a, have a respect. Don't be an obnoxious outsider. Be part of the environment. And one of those situations, too, is once you get to know what's there, you'll enjoy it more, what to look for. Uh, you know, because a lot of people get over there. I want the big five. I want to see the leopard. I want to see, you know, the water buffalo. Well, if you don't know where they're at and you're not going to enjoy it, I've had one guy stand, one of the, a guide one time was standing telling people, there's a leopard. And all these people are sitting there, you know, with the little fans, little battery powered fans. And they're looking, I don't see a leopard. I don't see it. It's right there. And they don't see it because they were not educated enough to even be there in the first place. They're not respecting it. They're not understanding what nature is and not being a part of that environment. And I'll tell you one quick story. I did it my, lots of programs in my life. 
but there was a middle school science teacher take the kids out to a nature park. They, they saw a snake, northern water snake down at the creek and they're standing up on the hill. And the, two of the boys wanted to run down and catch a snake. And she goes, no, 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 let's sit down like Tim said. Let's be part of the environment, see what happens. They sit down, she's explaining the bushes, she's explaining the trees, what goes on, how nature was. It wasn't even four minutes, the snake yawns. And as you know, reptiles don't get tired, they're just loosening their jaw. Mm. He crawls out in the water, catches a frog right in front of the kids, constricts it, swallows it, eats it right in front of them. He didn't even know those kids even existed. They were part of the environment. You should have saw the mayo I got from those kids. Oh that yeah. Was, that was a natural, that was a beautiful experience that they would never got if they went down and grabbed that snake who would disappear from that area forever once you pick them up. Absolutely. Um, so the question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast is what can we learn from the whales? But I wanna know what can we learn from all the big cats? Okay. Yeah, one, one thing about the big cats is I really like, I'm a very, I, I lean towards lions, African lions. Mm-hmm. There's a pride oriented and I'm very family oriented. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're very connected there. And you'll see that big male just lay there and those cubs playing all over him, you know? Now we do know as grownups that those are his cubs. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's not his cubs, he's gonna kill them. Right. But at least that environment, that it's almost like a serene pride family. The lions I've been around, they've been very pride oriented, even with us as humans. And that's what makes them so endearing Mm-hmm. So people in circuses and people do shows, they come connected to you. And also, yeah. I, I, you know, my heart is broken about the snow leopards. Absolutely. I can't even say it. My heart's broken mm-hmm. that we've killed more snow leopards in the United States than they have the poachers in the wild. And to me, it blew my mind. I wasn't ready for that. I was not ready for that. And um, that's, we need to realize that there's, the, you know, we all know about the circle of life and Akuna Matata and all that stuff. But you got to understand by taking that link out, if we kill off all the lions and we kill off all the big cats, you know, as, as one of my friends and one of my Hindu friends said, you know, the world will be a very lonely place without our big cats. They bring color. They bring a wildness. They bring a... Uh, Fear mm-hmm. <clears throat> gives you goosebumps. Yeah. Now they do it all. And they're the animal to do that. And I'm going to say the same thing about whales. <laughs> yeah. The first whale I snorkeled with, when I, they were doing a film. I never touched it. Mm-hmm. I'm just snorkeling at a distance. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And as you know what I'm talking about, it's, it's if you ever wanted, if you ever f- thought that they can't think, just look in their eye. <laughs> That's all you got to do. They're thinking, this is a huge animal that knows everywhere it's putting its, putting its uh, fluke, everywhere it moves, it knows exactly what it's doing. Mm-hmm. So if it hits you with something or bumps you with something, he's doing it on purpose. Yeah. It's getting too close. That's, to me, these are, it was to be, I love what he, the Hindu gentleman said to me. It's a very lonely place without these animals. Mm-hmm. Very lonely. And I always say, put the old American you know, up to it. I say, once the large predators go, then we all go, you know, <laughs> we're, we're next on the list. Let's just keep kill- making things extinct because we're not thinking if you start looking at it common sense wise, we start killing off all this stuff and the big ones are going away. 
Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who do you think's next? You yeah. Know? That's, that's crazy. Yeah, I think it's interesting that a lot of people don't put that, put two and two together of like, if these animals aren't here, what makes you think that we're going to survive if we continue to treat the planet this way? That's right. Wow. That's right. This is, this is our home. Yeah. I, I know I've, I, I've been in a lot of homes as a firefighter and there's a lot of homes that are dirty, but the problem is if they're dirty, that's the way the people want to live and I'm not going to change it. That's up to them. Right. But the whole thing is, is that we got to understand we're in somebody else's house and right. the earth is our home. So you're going out into the other environments. We have to understand, we have to care for this. We have to be gardeners to our planet. Just like those, those poachers over in Egypt, they mm-hmm. became farmers. They're yeah. making their area better. Well, I've had people say, oh, Tim, you know, that's, they're still killing crocodiles every once in a while, mm-hmm. but they're not killing them all. You know, yeah. there's a little bit of a seed planted. And that's the same with this. We have to make sure we understand we're farmers. We're, we're you know, gardeners of the planet. I'm starting to get on my soapbox now, but just understand, you know, that little bit. I love, I hate to bring this up, I'm a martial artist, but Chuck Norris said it beautifully one time. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a Chuck Norris fan back from years ago and, and being a martial artist. And he said it, somebody says, we're well, not going to be able to save the world. Because, hey, I don't want to save the world right now. I just want to save the, the part of the world I lived in. And if everybody does that, then we'll have a beautiful world. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that, it's that simple, you know? <laughs> It absolutely is that simple. And, you know, that we need everybody on board to do something, no matter how big or how small, if this is something you dedicate your life to, or this is something you dedicate five minutes a day to, like every little bit counts at the end of the day. Yeah, Um, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the funny part of it is, too, is that when people start realizing, they can just look, look at who I am. I'm an absolute nobody. mm -hmm. But I saw something happen. And I said, man, I can't let this go. Yeah. And that's that's the thing right there. You can be anybody on the planet. You can be anybody. And I've seen some fantastic work. And that's the only show that I told I would I told um, Discovery that I would do is if I could go and introduce people to people actually doing the real work. Yeah. Not the people put on the show, the real people doing the real work. And they didn't like that. They didn't like that idea. They wanted wrestling. They wanted shirts off. They wanted the garbage. And that's what we get. We get the garbage. As long as we accept the garbage, it's going to stay that way. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I, I would love to see a shift in media because like so many of those people who are the big names in, in conservation are not like, you know, they're like Steve Irwin is, he, he wrestled animals. Like that's not helpful. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure that he did other things for animals that were great, but like we ultimately need to change that. And I, and that's the thing is when people think that the, that's the norm for how to behave because the leaders are doing it, like, and they're not seeing the true leaders. Like there's so many people that I know that put in, like that dedicate their life and spend so many time, so much time and hours and blood, sweat and tears and all of that dedicating themselves to a cause. And they don't have a big following and they don't have a TV show, but then you see these people who regularly drive on top of whales or you know interact with animals in an unsafe way that is literally just for their ego they have huge followings and people listen to them and then they go out there and and spew information that's not correct that's actually harming the animals so it's just it's tough absolutely absolutely and the thing is too is that, and that's why i told people you know you want to change the world mm-hmm. make the truth the most valuable thing that can be spoken Yes. So when people lie, and these people lie all the time, literally, as you saw in the conservation game, 
all the time. It's not like yeah. once or twice. Their life is a lie. Yeah. And if you reward lies, and that's in all parts of life, if you keep continue rewarding lies, you'll get exactly what you want. There's an old saying in the police world. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you want monkeys, you pay peanuts. You know? So if you want professionals, you pay professionals. If you want people to be better at what they're doing, make, support the ones that are doing good, get rid of the ones that are doing bad, and go with the truth. Yes. That'll clean up everything we're doing right now. All that crap. And that's why I'm very, I'm very big on the truth. The truth has to come out. There's some things people say about me all the time, but I have never, never not told anybody the truth. I told them exactly. I don't have any skeletons in my closet because I tell everybody everything about it. I don't right. want anybody right. to come in and say, oh, Tim, you used to have a, a tiger. I said, yeah, I have four or five. Mm-hmm. You know, I evolved. What are you doing? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the other thing too, is like a lot of people are like, oh, you made this past mistake and they, they stick you in a box of that past mistake. But like, that's the thing is like, you show people can move and and grow on and not have four tigers. Like, I mean, I went and did the swimming with belugas at SeaWorld. Um, and at the time I was like, this is an awesome program. This is a great idea in hindsight. No, not so much. And like, have never given another dime to SeaWorld. Um, so, I mean, everybody like, you know, you don't have to be perfect. I think that's the other thing too, but just start somewhere and anybody can change. That's the thing, you know, Jack Hanna, I mean, I know his health's a little bit deteriorating, but if that wasn't the case, he could, you know, he could try to mend his wrongs, but you know. It's... Well, the thing you're absolutely right is that it's not like I haven't, I wasn't arguing with him 10 years ago or arguing with him 15 years ago or appear in Ohio magazine and saying the same things we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. back 20 years ago it's one of those things where they've been they've been told and it's one of those things it's like turn the back on it they gotta have that money they gotta have that ego they gotta be on tv and see that's the thing we have to get we have to put the people that are doing the right stuff on so kids and people and adults will look at them and go wow that, that's even more interesting because i did a, a lot of programs for colleges around the country and uh, especially after the first documentary and it was funny because one of the scenes in the in the elephant living room and i have it on my powerpoints were that 16 foot pythons in front of that restaurant in downtown dayton mm-hmm. and the owner didn't understand why nobody was coming in to eat so i show up when she went out and found this python out there so she called called the, the, the dayton uh, fire department and they were down just down the street they called me i come down we get that snake as you saw in the film and as I got the snake, it never tried to strike at us. I haven't had one college that hasn't said kids in the crowd say, whoa, 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 whoa. And this is 10 years ago. Whoa, whoa. How come that snake's not striking you? I said, because I like him. And they all started laughing. They go, what? And I said, you have to really piss them off and tease them to get yeah. them to strike at you. And they're like, they're sitting back. And I said, let me see the hands of everybody here. Now, this is about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago. Raise your hands. But who knows who Jane Goodall is? Temple Grandin. And all of a sudden you see maybe about 10% would raise their hands. Yeah. I said, okay, who's who's Steve Irwin? Ah! I yeah. said, I look at the professors and said, that's the problem. Yeah. Right there. So that's where we have to, that's what we talked about that already. That's where we need to start. When yeah. you start the yeah. educational facilities and understand that there's more to this than just, you know, oh, it's just Jack, as I said on Absolutely. the movie. Just Jack. Yeah. Just Jack. He does good work, but it's just Jack. But it's just, yeah, 
I think definitely like, you know, I, I would encourage anybody listening to when they're looking for information or looking towards people to get information from follow organizations or groups or even just individuals that are animal focused or environment focused and not focused on themselves. And if they're constantly posting or sharing things that are only about their personal experiences or that's the center of it, stay away from it. There's Emma Luck is a naturalist in um, Alaska and she made a really nice post about um, just like basic kind of like red flags of what to look for in like, you know, influencer culture or um, you know, you can apply that to other areas too, like, you know, Jack Hanna and, and things like that. So I definitely urge people to be mindful. Yeah, don't, if you, if you see anything on a website or a Facebook, Instagram, of anybody holding a baby animal, holding it and getting their picture taken, mm-hmm. unless that baby animal had just been born and they're handing it off to a, a prenatal phys- a veterinarian to take care of, do not have anything to do with that organization. Right. If they're offering you to come and get your picture taken, we've got new baby cubs. Come get your pictures. No. Yeah. Anybody that's breeding, selling, uh, like you said before, uh, you know, just look at the pictures, photos on there or videos. If they're doing anything like that, the only time I ever get a, a photo taken of me is when I'm actually in the process of rescuing something. Right. Or as a National Geographic in 2014, uh, when I was in the, <laughs> the guy did the big spread picture with a bear and uh, its owner and gentleman who took my picture, uh, uh, Vince Musi, National mm-hmm. Geographic photographer, Obama, uh, Obama's, President Obama's uh, photographer. He, uh, he was taking, he's following me around and he goes, I got to get a picture of you with one of these animals. I got an alligator. We had all crazy stuff, right? I said, no, no, take a picture with me and my, my dog at my house. He goes, wow, really? I said, yeah. I want a picture with my dog. I don't want a picture with all that. You can write about me doing this stuff, but I said, I don't want, I don't want a picture with, uh, with a bear. So we yeah. go in there and get a picture with my standard poodle that we rescued, right? <laughs> I got my picture taken. And under the picture, it says, dogs and cats need homes. Leave the wild animals alone. Now I got a huge response from the animal community. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because Vince used that picture for a long time and explained, here's a guy that was probably the animal rescuer in the country at that time. I still mm-hmm. help out now. I'm doing quite a bit. But I'm one of those guys that gets out and gets to help people. And I keep it confidential most of the time. And, uh, and he goes, he don't want his picture taken with a snake or uh, any of these things. I says, no, no, I'd rather have a, take a picture with my dog. And that's yeah. the thing right there, the difference. It's not that I'm better than these people. It's that I evolved. I evolved to a point where if I hold, as you heard the story, I'm not going to tell the story here, but mm-hmm. the story in the film, of the clo- a close friend of mine that died mm-hmm. uh, imitating me. I will never, ever do that again. I'll never do that. I'll never, ever. I'm not showing off with anything. That's not fair for the animal. And it's definitely just for my ego if I was doing it. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I completely. Yeah, I understand what you're saying of like, not necessarily trying to come across as better than other people, but leading by example. And yeah. And ultimately, like you're showing where your value is at the end of the day, because there's lots of people like Jack Hanna, for example, where they're like, I, I really care about these animals. This is what I'm doing, but like literally killing these baby yeah. endangered cubs. Um, and I mean, in the whale world, we see it like I just 
you know, we see people drive on top of the whales or, or people watching the Southern resident killer whales when there's 30 years with the data. Like you said, there's like 20 years of you've been saying this for 20 years. They've been saying it for 30 years. Stop watching the Southern residents because they're endangered and people do it anyways. And people push for it anyways. Um, it's all, it's all coming. Have you, full have, you, have you noticed in the, uh, in the whale world too, especially with orcas, is that the more somebody talks about they're threatened or something like that, the more people want to go out and threaten them. They want to go out and see them. Oh, they want to go out and be close to them. It's almost like a death warrant. You know, if you tell somebody, you know, hey, there's only a few of these left, well, I got to go. You yeah. Know? Wow. I, you know? you, I feel like you can like tell people that they're like, you can still educate somebody looking at a transient killer whale and talk about the Southern residents. And you can still safely watch a transient from a distance and, and still tell them that story. And I think that transient killer whale is still going to have the same magic and the same effect, but I don't know. It's like, it's crazy too. And, and people notice, like people ask all the time, do the boats have an impact on the whales? The answer is yes. Like always it's yes. Um, and you know, it's like, so people think about it, but still like, even so people are like, well, you know, I'm just paying for this one time, but everybody's doing it one time. And it, you know, it adds up not saying that whale watching is bad. There's ways to do it. And I, I work in whale watching. There's ways to do it that are safe and ethical, but that is not the norm currently. And that's annoying, <laughs> but yeah, no, once people are like, oh, it's endangered. They're like, I got to see it now before it dies. And I even have people in the whale community, like a friend of mine kept talking about how he wants to go see the vaquita because there's only like four left and he wants to get in a boat and take pictures of it. And I'm like, let it go not I was like sir you work in conservation he's like well they're functionally extinct anyways I'm like like I can kind of see where you're thinking that but at the same time this animal deserves so much respect right now like especially given the fact that there's only a handful left yeah you're absolutely right there's a um, um the old comedian Robin Williams one time did a stand-up routine about um you know, with um, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom kind of stuff shows. And he says, you know, you always notice that they go back to the same Africa and every year they got a dart cheetah and they got to put, you know, check their blood and do all this stuff every year. He goes, and you know what's going to happen? He said, these cheetahs are going to be sitting there and scratching their arms like a drug addict going, when's the National Geographic going to get here again? I need yeah. another hit because they're going to be so overdone by how many times you have to do this. And then I go out and I go with this, some of these groups they're actually really doing research on tigers and leopards. Mm -hmm. I said, are you going to dart them? No. <laughs> Why? Yeah. You know, we yeah. darted them five years ago. We don't need to dart them again. Yeah. And I'm thinking, whoa, somebody, somebody's right here and somebody's wrong. And then as I get to know, oh, leaving them alone is probably the best way. The running joke is, a uh, Hindi uh, thing is, is that the only way the earth can heal is by when everybody just leaves it alone. It will heal itself. You know? I love that. And it's true. We back it, off, it'll heal itself. It does. You know? And that's the thing is like, we, we've seen so many different populations that when given the space to do so, like the humpback whales have come back. Our sea otters, yes. obviously like it's not in the same numbers as it once was. Same with the sea otters, like they've come back in the Monterey Bay and nature is extremely resilient and much more adapted than we are to handling the earth, you know? So yeah, I, I think it's definitely important just to give, give things space, be a part of nature, be like that kid that you talked about where they were like an observer with the snake and the frog, like, you know, be quiet, be courteous, you know, um, and, and don't feel the need to like, th there's no need to touch everything. It's like, 
I mean, if you think about it, flies landing on you, that's real annoying. We don't appreciate that. And I think that if squirrels or other animals came up and were like trying to touch us, that would be really weird, you know? Um, and you would probably want to react in a defensive way too, because why would these animals be touching you, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. One thing I'll throw out too is that, you know, there's, there's times you have to educate even the people that you are, you were your heroes. And I was with an individual that was a filmmaker and, and this has nothing, this is not Mike Weber and this group, a good group I work with, but another one, and they wanted Cobra striking the TV cameras. I'm real against that. They want to tease them and then somebody tease them like Steve-O did all the time. And then the snakes hit the TV cameras full force with their face. Now any reptile place you go in the world, zoos or anywhere says don't tap on the glass because they have no arms and legs. Right. And they smash in there. Oh, we got the heat sensors, the Jacobson organ. Yeah. That's what they got in their face. That's it. That's what they live and, and survive on. Yeah. So they're smashing these TV cameras. So I took a, 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 a screenshot, a video and stopped it. And I started showing it to college kids. But that cobra's face was a mess after Steve-O. Steve-O wasn't teasing. He teased it. And then he got out of the way and a big camera came at it. Right. So it's smacking that camera and his face was a mess. And I told the crowd, I said, that snake's going to die a hideous death. So I'm explaining to everybody about how this works and all this stuff. Uh, and we're at a filming. They're filming a cobra. And I, I'm really good at working with animals. And I go, I don't want my cobra to do that. And he goes, this is a cobra I caught for him. I goes, no, I don't want that. He goes, well, you don't have any choice in this. You're out here to do this. I said, no, I don't want that. So the film uh, gentleman come over and he's telling me, so this is what I want. I want this done. And the camera's sitting there. It was a small, fairly small camera. I picked it up. And he's looking at me and I said, so you want the snake to strike the TV camera like that? I said, you know, when I work with some of the chimpanzee people, I said, if you did that to a chimpanzee, they'd be screaming their brains out and people would have you arrested for animal cruelty. And he looks at me, he goes, hey, don't be some animal rights guy. And I went like this. I put, put the camera up like I was going to film, turned around and went, bam, hit him right between the eyes with the lens. Mm -hmm. And he fell back and he his butt. And he looked at me, he goes, and everybody's laughing. The whole crew's laughing. And I go, uh, do you like that? I said, didn't hit your heat sensors, did it? Just hit you on the forehead. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me for a second and he started to smile. I, I get it. I get it. I said, okay, I appreciate that. I said, you're going to have to hire somebody else because I can't do it. And they did not film that Cobra. And I took the Cobra and turned it loose. And I said, this is no way we're going to be doing this. It's not going to happen. The sad part about this is I've been through the school of hard knocks. That's the school I've been through. And it's, you can mm -hmm. teach people. You can show people the right way, but sometimes you have to actually do something dramatic. Right. I'm not telling right. anybody to hit people in the face with a camera, but sometimes you you have to do something because I was not going to let that snake be treated cruelly. It's not going to happen. And yeah. that's one thing about life out there is, is it's like you talked about the fly landing on you. My wife gets so mad at me. She goes, there's a spider in here and, I, and she won't kill him because she knows I, I lose my mind if you kill a spider. So I go and I catch him. And one of her friends said to her one time, she goes, your, your husband catches all the spiders? Yeah, he catches the stink bugs that come in the house. He catches a fly if he can do it. I said, I'm not, I'm not a Buddhist, mm -hmm. but I don't disagree with him. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I mean, yeah, we have a lot of like double standards I, I, for a lot of things, like people just based on what type of animal is and how they view it, they're not gonna give it the same respect as another animal. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, really important and a very good note to end on is just show all, all animals as much respect as you can, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, go full vegan or, you know, anything like that. If that's the way you choose to respect animals, great. But, um, 
you know, just, just do the best that you can and educate yourself on what you need to, you know, be educated on and also be mindful where you're getting your information from. Very good. And also too, remember other people are watching you. Mm -hmm. And if you're not pushing it down their throat and they're watching that you're doing the right thing or, you know, you're, you're following what you believe, they'll start paying attention too. Do you mind if I, I show my new book? Yes. Okay. Now, this is the, uh, uh, the companion book to the conservation game. Mm-hmm. It's called White Magic, The Curse of the White Tiger. It's the only true book written about, written about white tigers in the world, apparently. They checked it out, and most of them are puff pieces and everything else. The white tiger was one of the mis- mis- most misunderstood and abused animals on the planet. But I call it White Magic because I learned that in the field. I was going out and uh, you know just working, trying to rescue animals through my life. We ran into a guy that uh, at the uh, one of the malls here. He was getting picture pictures taken with an orange tiger cub, which was all over the Midwest. You're from you've been from Ohio area. They're all over the Midwest. Yeah. They'll be everywhere. Fairs everywhere. So we would go in, and one of my one of my granddaughters, and we were in there, and the one guy goes, "I said, man, I said there's a big crowd here, you know." And you always notice the people that are doing the picture taking are not the brightest people on the planet. There's just some people they hire. They have no idea how to take no husbandry for these animals. It's horrible. Right. So. He's standing there and I said, man, you're I'm acting like I don't know anything. Man, these guys, you know, you got a hell of a crowd here for, uh, for that little orange tiger. And he goes, wait till you bring out white magic. That's the first time I ever heard that. I put a chill down my spine. And I said, wow, he brought out that white tiger cub and it tripled. Wow. And, and I tried to follow up to what happened to that white tiger and it was not good. So this is a story about the white tiger, the history of it in the United States, the stories of some of the cats I've worked with, and also two or three chapters that are not in the documentary, The Conservation Game, that will you know, light you up or get you really going on what's going on out there, especially about a tiger named Yuki in Pennsylvania. It really brings it all home. So I appreciate it. The, the, the yes. money comes from this book, helps out outreach for animals. It's not one cent goes in anybody's pocket, and we'd appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. And I'll be sure to, in our description bio, to put the links to Outreach for Animals and your book. And then at least the elephant uh, in the living room, not quite the conservation game yet, since that's not out. Um, But thank you so much for being here and sharing all this information. There's a lot of parallels to a lot of the things that we face with the Southern residents as well. So it's always good to hear insight from other perspectives. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And keep up the good work. And, uh, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I will be putting all the links to everything that we talked about in this episode in the description. So definitely go check those out. Also wanted to say a huge congratulations to the whole Co-Extinction crew. They won the Rob Stewart Eco Warrior Award at the Vancouver International Film Festival. So pretty exciting stuff. Also want to remind you guys that we need to be writing Governor Inslee and our Washington senators to try to push for that dam removal since that is something that's on the table right now. So always be reaching out to those guys. If you guys need any help or have any questions, feel free to reach out over Instagram or shoot us an email. But I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Bye!